Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have, and you know what? I screwed it up. I screwed it up, y'all. Um, normally, I ask the individual's name beforehand so I can pronounce it correctly, but we're going to go and we're going to... Aaron San... Uh, Filippo? San Filippo. I almost had okay. it. <laughs> almost had it. All right. Well, everyone knows I suck with names, so it's all good. Yeah, so all good. <laughs> you are the developer behind the upcoming title known as Whisker Squadron. Thank you for joining. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm pretty excited, too, um, because one, I'm a huge fan of games in this genre. But before I jump into the actual game, I always love talking about the people behind the game. So, Aaron, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the indie game space in the first place. Sure. Well, I've been making games, I guess, for about 15 years now. I started in the AAA games industry out of school, worked on Call of Duty and stuff like that. And then, you know, I quit uh, about eight years ago to start Flip Fly with my brother, Forrest. Um, Very cool. And he's he's since gone on to, to do kind of his own new games venture. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much running the company now, but I'm working with a few collaborators on Whisker Squadron. So um, we can talk about that more later if you want. But yeah, there's, I think, five of us now. So. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, actually, that was one of the questions I had uh, right coming up was really just to tell me a little bit about kind of the studio, you know, Flip Fly. I, I didn't know that your brother had kind of stepped back. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's he gone into his own thing. He's doing a bit of freelancing now, and he's got his own um, games he wants to make. I think he, he kind of got to where I was at when I quit the AAA industry, where it's like, oh, do I want to keep doing this thing for for the next five or 10 years of my life or do I want to do my own creative projects? So yeah, you know, he's kind of doing that and still helps out from, from time to time with things, but it's mostly me now. So, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to dive into that because it, it always, it interests me when I hear someone going and taking that leap of faith, so to speak mm -hmm. of going from something that is probably a more, I don't want to say comfy in a certain way of like it being easier, but in, in a more stable position of being in the industry of working on, you know, a triple A studio type games mm -hmm. and being kind of like a, a cog, like a, you know, in that space of just being like, I have my stable position. I know what I do. I have my place in this giant thing. And to then say like, you know what, I'm just going to do it all kind of a thing. And just, you know what, I want to, I want to be the main uh, lead behind all of this. One, you obviously have to have that passion and that interest. But two, I think it is very much an interesting mindset to go from something so stable to say, like, I could possibly completely fail, right? You know, what was the mindset? What was the reasoning? You alluded to it a little bit, but like, what went through your head when you and, and your brother decided to create this company and create like, you know what, let's just work on our own games. 
Yeah, you know, I think for me, there were a few factors, you know, um, the studio I, I was at had a layoff at one point and it was like, this was around, oh man, what was it, 2000, 2010 or so. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, um, it, it was kind of a situation where it was like the, the app store was becoming more of a thing and a lot of people were, were succeeding with, you know, mobile games and indie games and stuff like that. And it just kind right. of felt like if there was a time to kind of get into that space, it was then. Um, mm -hmm. And at the same time, I wasn't having a whole lot of fun working on Call of Duty. Like you mentioned, it's kind of like cog in the machine kind of situation. And so it just seemed like the right time for me. You know, I had some money in the bank and just being in the incredible, like privileged position and being able to just do that for a while. Um, my, right. my, my spouse at the time was, was working and, you know, we had the ability to kind of get our own health insurance and stuff like that. So it was, uh, it was just the timing was right for me and my brother and I had talked about doing something creative together for, for years. So he saw an opportunity to, to get out of what he was doing, which was, um, you know, like graphic design and, um, stuff like that and web design and stuff like that. So yeah, we just kind of dove in head first and, um, we got pretty lucky with race the sun out of the gate. You know, it, mm -hmm. it was, it was a close call, but we managed to like, make something that was a market success that supported us for a while. So, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, cause there's a lot of times where that's not the case, right? So it's, it's, it's definitely an exciting time when you can get a bit of that, that success. Um, what was the hardest piece of, you know, changing from that environment of the AAA side to then being this indie developer? Um, I think it's really just having to do everything, you know, and not just the game development, but also like just all the business stuff, you know, I'm, right. I'm not sure if people realize like just how much accounting and paperwork is involved with everything, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, once you start doing console launches, it's just like weeks and weeks of just all this like backend stuff with forms you got to fill out and you got to hit this thing on this date and then you need esrb ratings for your games and if you're launching in europe you need peggy ratings and if you're launching in japan you need zero ratings and you know just all these organizations that you need to like familiarize yourself with um mm -hmm. and so it's basically just every every couple of months or so in this business i have to learn something completely new you know it's like oh well this this company asked for a layered photoshop file i guess i gotta figure out how to do that now and i've never touched photoshop before <laughs> you know or right um, you know Last last month, I was making images for some event or store, and it's just like, okay, we need these five different, you know, graphics for this thing at this particular aspect ratio. And right now, that's just on me, you know. Um, right. So you know, it's always possible to like delegate and outsource some of that stuff to a degree, but as the person running the company, it's like I'm just I'm the endpoint for all that stuff. So you know, I'm always having to handle something. Um, right you know, on top of programming and design and stuff like that. So I think that's the biggest challenge, to be honest, is just having to wear all those hats and then change them up so frequently. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of the time I've been doing these interviews for a while now and many people, they usually will come to that of, 
the business side of things. And it's so interesting because when you think of making a game, like at least for me, who someone who has no intention of creating a game or no experience with creating a game, when I think of, you know, the process of it, right? And I'm sure this is the same with a lot of people who aren't familiar with the industry as as far as actually creating something. You think of creating a game, you're like, oh, you just you build the game and then you're done, right? But there's like so many other pieces that you have to to have. The ER, ESRB rating thing is something I have never thought about in relation to any games. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting that you brought that up because, yeah, there's there's so many minute things that I'm sure you have to figure out. And if you don't, then it's like a, a panic button. Right, right. Yep. And it's just, uh, and you never anticipated either, so it can be... It can be a little bit stressful too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the actual game uh, that you are currently working on. So for those who don't know anything about this game, how would you describe Whisker Squadron and what makes it so special? I guess I would, you know, I've kind of been describing it as like a forward moving aerial roguelike, Um, Hmm. you know, so I don't even need to tell people, you know, it's pretty obvious that like we draw heavy inspiration from Star Fox. Right. It's really kind of a unique game when you think about it. It's like there's there's rail shooters and there's shoot 'em ups, but Star Fox was kind of unique unique in that it kind of put you in this corridor and gave you a certain amount of freedom, but made you go in one direction for most of the game. Um mm-hmm. and we kind of borrowed heavily from that with with Race the Sun anyway, with just like flying into the sunset and you know right. in one direction. Um so we definitely draw some inspiration from Star Fox, but we're also leaning heavily on procedural generation um, and it's trying to make something that's sort of interesting in another way. Um, And then, you know, procedural generation for levels and for boss fights. And so our goal is to make something that's challenging and fun to, to beat, but then that has a lot of replay value as well. So I guess one really easy way to describe the game would be like procedural Star Fox. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, would probably hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm a huge Star Fox fan. Uh, I saw this game. I We heard about it. I think we talked about it on, on one of our news episodes a while back. Someone wrote an article about how it was very interesting, the things that you were doing with procedural generation. And I'm a huge roguelike fan. I'm a huge Star Fox fan. Like This seems like the game for me. Uh, you already mentioned it yourself. It's pretty apparent that there there is inspiration pulled from Star Fox type games, but what were some of like, you know, the other forms of inspiration or what were the other reasons that you decided, especially after doing something like Race the Sun, that you decided to say, you know what, let's create a game like Whisker Squadron? You know, I think ever since we made Race the Sun, I I wanted to make a follow-up that was a little bit more combat focused, I guess. Mm. Um, And also Race the Sun was like, structurally, it was a very simple game, you know, it's just... Mm -hmm. It's endless. You play as long as you can and you get you get the highest score you can and, you know, submit a score to the leaderboard, basically. Um, right. So I wanted to explore something with a little bit more structure, I guess. And so, you know, this has this is a mission structure that has a definite beginning and end. And there's a lot of like tactical choices you'll make along each mission as well. Um, so we kind of pulled from, you know, FTL and uh, Slay the Spire and games like that with these like choices that you make depending on what path you take on the map um right so yeah it was just a lot of a lot of new design areas that i wanted to explore and i just always really love this 
this whole low poly aesthetic thing too. So, <laughs> and you know, there's, I don't know, there's something about race the sun where it was like, it was very constrained and just, you could fly left and right and that was it. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm just a sucker for like working on controls and game feel type things. And so I really, the idea of just making a cool flight mechanic was appealing to me. So that was actually like the first, the first thing I did when I started working on it. Very cool. Yeah. I want to, um, go uh, about that fact that you just said that you wanted more structure in it as opposed to what race the sun had and having that um more or less the the mechanics of having a start to finish with these levels because i think i think it's interesting you're working on these worlds that are all going to be at least for the way that i have uh read into this you know procedurally generated as far as like a lot of the things that happen a lot of the bosses that you're fighting but you're still working on this assumption that there is a structure finish to like start to finish what does the the mission structure look like is this something you know you, you mentioned inspiration from slay the spire is this something like you know uh, in slay the spire they have the three acts so to speak technically four acts if you do the harder version but you mm -hmm. have those number of acts to beat the game is that kind of what you know you'll see in whisker squadron how is this kind of set up yeah it is it is actually similar in that we we do have three acts that we're planning um mm -hmm. you know and each act has um let's see i guess around seven stages in it you know that, okay. that kind of vary up and then and then each act ends with a big procedural boss fight um and then the stages in between kind of end with like smaller randomized boss fights hmm. so you'll you know you'll um you'll start the game always in the same the same world and then beyond that it kind of randomizes the options that are available to you so you know there'll be There'll be other worlds along your path, but also, you know, space encounters and, and these randomized, randomized events that make you make some kind of a tactical choice and then um, uh, upgrade shops and repair shops and stuff like that. So gotcha. you're always going to see like some familiar things with every run, but but it'll also be like a little bit different. So hmm. um, and that's still kind of a work in progress, but, you know, it's I guess it's a balancing act between always throwing new things at you but also making it familiar familiar enough that you can master it um, right yeah so yeah it's a difficult uh you know uh, balancing act of sorts yeah but yeah. the overall structure is you know um it's similar to a star fox playthrough i guess but probably a little bit longer so i think we're aiming for like 40 to 60 minutes for a typical playthrough okay that's good um, and then, you know, we'll probably have some like alternate paths and stuff like that. And um, and then we're, we're doing a lot to kind of make it interesting to replay as well. So one feature that we're working on is um, we're trying to make it more interesting than just having like easy, medium and hard difficulties. Mm. So we're, we've kind of come up with this whole system of gameplay mods, we call them, where you can you can unlock these mods by doing various uh, various things in the game, and then mods will just change up the game in some interesting way. That's um, cool. So, for instance, one mod will like cut your health in half, um, but other mods might extend the campaign or replace a certain type of node on the map with another one, or you know, gotcha. do something that kind of makes it interesting in different ways. Um, and we'll probably add mods just to make the game easier in various ways too, because we want to make it accessible like that. So. Right, um, right. And then we're also yeah. looking at 
endless mode and uh, daily challenges and stuff like that too. Very cool. Uh, let's talk about that accessibility part because I know um, I'm I'm personally a, a fan of roguelikes. I already mentioned that, and I do enjoy a challenge uh, from time to time, especially because you know I'm constantly playing these games. But there's a lot of people who who are uh, very dismissive of this genre because for one they don't like that constant like you have to get good and dying is part of progression and you know mm -hmm. a lot of it is really the the learning that you take away is right. is more of that progression in the game right. so a lot of people what they do is is they create rogue likes which are you know more of that that or rogue lights, excuse me, where it's more of that that lighter version of of as much punishment, and they have you know smaller forms of progression to to allow people to level up in certain ways mm -hmm. here and there. Is there any of that in this game, or is it you know a straight just you always start with the same thing every time? Um, I think we're leaning more towards I guess you I don't want to call it a pure roguelike because like. <laughs> Just today, somebody was like getting snarky with me on Twitter because I use the word roguelike and that's not a roguelike, you know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but right now it is like you start with the same equipment every time you have choices about like which um, which pilots you'll, you'll have along the way. Right. Um, but that was also like, you know, one of the reasons that we added these difficulty options because, you know, I love Spelunky and Spelunky 2 and like. I bounced off of Spelunky HD after probably 40 hours of trying and just realized like, I'm not going to beat this game unless I want to put in like <laughs> yeah. a thousand more hours, you know? And then I got into Spelunky too. And I was like, okay, I'm determined to get this, get this down, you know? And I even joined like a group of friends who were going to play it along with me. And, you know, I'm probably 60 hours in now and I, I've never gotten past like the halfway point. And it's like maybe one out of every 20, 20 times I play, I get back to like the furthest I've ever got again, you know? And it's like, right. I'm at some point, it's just not so much fun for me anymore to keep banging my head against the wall on that. So yeah, it can be really discouraging at times, but it's like, you know, if I had the option in Spelunky of just saying, well, maybe I start with eight health instead of four, you know, like that might actually make the gun, the game more fun for me, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And so, so I'm all, I'm all about like, letting people adjust the, the difficulty to be something that's fun for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's tough because it's like, I think ever since the earliest days of video games, developers have used difficulty as a tool to kind of add longevity to a game. Cause it's like, yeah, if you can beat it on the first or second playthrough, then you kind of feel like there's not a whole lot more to do. Um, right. so we're trying to find that balance of like, we want it to be a hard game but we also want it to not be like impossible if you just can't do certain things, you know? Um, so we're trying to find that balance. We still have like a lot of play testing to do and, you know, we want to get input from a variety of, of people, you know? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting challenge, but, but I'm definitely the mindset that it's like game should, if somebody wants to play a game, they should be able to beat it in some, some form, you know? Right. Eventually. <laughs> mm -hmm. That makes sense. So you mentioned those four characters that you're able to choose from in the game, and that's kind of where there's like differences, uh, so to speak. Uh, are there any major attribute differences uh, differences between those characters, uh, or is it more of a cosmetic thing? So I'm thinking of like, does one have an ability or a stat versus another? Yeah. So um, 
so far in the current version of the game, we have two characters and we have three planned for sure. And then a, a fourth will probably be like a stretch goal for us. Um, gotcha. But they do have like, so they all have the same starting primary weapon and then they have a different secondary weapon. So um, our kind of our lead character is Olivia and her, her secondary weapon is like a volley of lock-on missiles. Um, so you hold the button down, you can lock on to enemies and then, it shoots three missiles, and if you've locked onto one, then it shoots all three at that one target. Mm-hmm. You can spread it out more uh, if you want. So she's more of a tactical kind of like, do you want to do lots of damage to one enemy or uh, less damage to, to several? <laughs> and then um, Ross is the other character that we've got in the game right now, and he just has like a big um, shockwave explosion bomb that just mm-hmm. does like lesser damage, but basically to everything on the screen. Right. Um, and then the third character will have. I don't know. We haven't we haven't figured that out yet. But every every character will have their own unique secondary, and then they're probably going to have have other attributes as well. So like, one character might be good at bargaining, and so they they lower the price of everything in the upgrade shops by ten percent or something like that when they're on the oh, game or something okay. like that. So so yeah, we want to make it interesting. Like yeah. the choice of characters will actually be interesting. Yeah, I like that because I instinctively i didn't uh you know have any interest in in attributes outside of the 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 part of the game where you're flying but i think it makes sense right because there there are those those other events that you mentioned of going from you know those those upgrade shops or or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. but um look can you elaborate a little bit more on what those events might look like Oh, like the special events with tactical choices and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what? Like, it's interesting to have a character attribute where you have that like ten percent off bartering, right? How much is that going to equate? Is there a lot of going to these these different events, or how big of an impact will they make in between each time you're flying through a stage? Yeah. So every you know you you kind of have like a random selection of those events um, depending on your on your particular run, but. It's very similar to something like Slay the Spire, if you played that, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, you might have you might have three op- opportunities to visit a store per act or something along those lines. Um, right. And so, you know, in, in that game, it was like you, you could kind of build up a, um, I, don't, I don't know, you, I guess you call it like a synergy of like, okay, I upgraded this thing in this particular way, and that makes me really strong, and then I'm going to also... Um, add this this new primary weapon that kind of plays off of that you know um Mm -hmm. and then in addition to the shops we have these um randomized events and this is still very much a work in progress right now but the idea there is that you'll have just like either a binary choice or maybe several choices between options for for some given context so it might be like you stopped at a a friendly space station and they, they offered to upgrade your ship. And so you can choose between, you know, something that upgrades your firing rate versus something that upgrades your shields. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there might be all this, also there other, uh, other events with choices like, um, you know, you, you come across some uh, wrecked vessel and they need, they need help and you can rescue them. And if you do that, then it might change an option that you have later in the game or, right. Um, you know, you might you might opt into something that makes the next level much more difficult, but you get a higher reward for it. Or, you know, a character makes a bet with you that you can't get a certain rating in the next area. And if you if you can beat that, then you can get a reward. And if you can't, then you you lose something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So kind of like risk reward type things and, you know, different yep. choices of upgrades and just the idea that there is just to keep it interesting and kind of, I guess, a little bit addictive, you know, <laughs> I think that was something that was really compelling to me about Slay the Spire is just not knowing what's going to happen the next time through, you know, and just always, right. wanted to, always wanted to roll those dice. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That, that, uh, variety is essential. I think I said, uh, especially for roguelikes, um, but I am interested in that score portion you just mentioned. So you did say there there could be daily challenges and leaderboards. You're getting scored on each level you're playing then? Yeah, so we have this, um, it's like a letter ranking system. And so okay, basically, yeah. you know, as you're playing through a level, it will kind of keep track of like how many points could you have scored at this point based on, you know, enemies that spawn and multiplier rings that were available and stuff like that. And then it will keep track of like um, how many points you actually got. And then it gives you a letter ranking at the end of every level. And that's just kind of like, it's kind of a vanity thing, but you also get like bonus coins based on, on your ranking. Um, okay. So if you get an A, then you might get 50 bonus coins and then you'll have more for the next shop, you know? Gotcha. Um, okay. So the, the coins are, are currency for each run. That's right. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's currency just for that run. So you, you collect coins and then you can spend them in the shops for that run. Um, and then you get an overall score for the for the mission as well. I don't gotcha. think we'll have a leaderboard for that except for the daily challenge, though, because it's like every time you play, the, the score possibilities are, are going to vary drastically, you know? Right. Yeah, it's tough to, tough to balance or manage. But, you know, just trying to get like that, you know, S plus rating or whatever on, on every level is definitely a, a thing I think some players are going to want to do, too. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, is there any form? So we talked about those coins being currency for only that specific run. Are there going to be any of those types of currency that are outside of the run? So you mentioned that it's more of like a roguelike and you probably wouldn't have anything that, you know, essentially, uh, levels up your characters in mm -hmm. that form but i'm thinking of like those those modifiers is this something where you unlock those by having like a certain amount of of tokens or something that outside of the game you can use based on playing a bunch or maybe there's cosmetic things like is there anything like that yeah and i think i'm not sure if it'll be a currency based thing or experience based thing or just like a more of a skill based finish this quest and then you'll you'll unlock yeah, yeah, that you know yeah. so like you know beat beat the first act and that'll unlock something or you know beat the game and that'll unlock something or you know finish a level with a perfect rating um so various things like that you know we right. we kind of leaned heavily on that with race of sun as well um and then as far as what you'll unlock you know we want to we kind of want to avoid unlocking things that make the game easier or like powering you up um, just mm -hmm. to kind of keep it balanced. But, you know, we are going to have probably ship customization and, and little doodads that you can unlock and cosmetic things like that. Um, at least one additional character you can unlock, probably several. And then, yeah, these mods are going to be a, a pretty big part of that as well. So, um, you know, some of these mods are going to make the game more difficult and that'll be kind of like an interesting thing. Like, okay, you beat the game with that. Now, can you beat the game where you have one health or something like that, you know? Right. But some of these mods are just going to be fun things that, you know, we're, we're still working on the design for these. But for instance, one might um, change the visuals to look more like classic Star Fox or something. Or, That's cool. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe one that just kind of like changes out the 
a particular enemy to be, to be something completely different or, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe something that makes the game play at half speed or, or like reduces the draw distance or something to make it, to make it interesting in different ways like that. Right. So yeah, yeah. A lot of them will just be like just for fun kind of things. Um, and hopefully we can come up with a lot of those. And I, I think a lot of people like just unlocking things. So we definitely want to like scratch that itch too. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's true too. But I think it, it makes sense. Cause it's, it's not just, you know, checking that box of like, yes, I accomplished something, but you also get that slight reward of like, oh, I can change something that might just be a visual thing, but it just looks cool. So that right. they turn it on once and they're like, that was great. And then change it to the next one after they unlock something else. And it just, right. it pushes them to get back into the game and to continue playing because they want to try out like that new modifier they unlocked. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. So one of my favorite parts about this game, which we've already talked about a little bit, but I want to dive in deeper because I think it's an interesting point. My favorite part is that there's this emphasis on procedural generation, but I've never really seen it from a boss perspective. Um, there's a ton of games that do procedural generation from a level design, which makes you know, for the most part sense, because you're you're scripting it to to look a certain way, but always have very similar attributes. Um, I don't believe, at least out of anything that I've played, that I've ever seen this with bosses that you'll face. Can you elaborate exactly how this works um, and, and just kind of like how unique will this feel? Is this something where, you know, when when I see procedural generation, I get excited, but also skeptical, right? Yeah. Because there's some parts where you're like, that's great. But is this going to be like something where it's generated, but you're like, okay, I've seen this, you know, after a couple of times, it's not anything new. You're like, oh, you're just swapping these in different places. Like, what does this look like from a boss perspective? Right. Well, I guess first thing I'll say, this is, def this is definitely still a work in progress. So I guess people will have to judge how cool it is, <laughs> you know, once it's done, but. Right. Of course. Of course. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a. I guess I can just give an overview of the design of it so far, which is that the game will spawn this big like airframe and this airframe kind of has its own movement patterns, which are randomized, but, but fairly predictable. Um, and then it'll spawn several of several dozen attachments to it. And those attachments kind of define weapons or behaviors for the thing to do. Um, and then those can kind of combine in interesting ways. So there might be one that, you know, is a cannon that shoots out various types of enemies. And then you kind of like have to deal with those enemies while you're dealing with the, with the boss as well. Or, you know, one of them will um, have a giant like helicopter shaped laser array, you know, and, and that'll spin as it flies past you. And so okay. it's kind of a situation where it's like, you'll learn to recognize these attachments and then you'll kind of be able to master how to deal with them. But then the ways they'll combine will sometimes throw you for a loop. Um, gotcha. And then the airframes themselves will also be randomized from several options as well. So we're trying to find that, that, um, I, I don't know if I'd say compromise, but you know, on one hand, like, we want it to be interesting and unique every time. On the other hand, we do want people to be able to master right that balance aspects we talked of the game, about. you know. So, yeah, um, yeah. but it's uh, I think if you play the game today, it's like you might play it ten times and you'll start to kind of recognize like, okay, that's starting to feel a little bit samey, you know. But but we're going to keep adding more attachments, right. and the attachments yep. will kind of get more elaborate. And so, you know, every once in a while, you'll still, you know, I'm I guess my my goal here is that 
you know, you've played the game 500 times and it'll still surprise you sometimes. Right, um, right. But you kind of learn to master it over time. I do, I do enjoy the way, you know, regardless of how cool someone thinks it is, you know, after, after it's done, which I, I do. Um, but regardless of that, I like the way this is being set up and the way you explain that because it makes it so the content can in a, in a way be evergreen. Cause you can, uh, maybe that's not the right word for it, but it makes it so it's very scalable, right? You can constantly keep adding new pieces that a boss might have and mm -hmm. that in itself will create new weird boss synergies because you might create uh you know uh, down the road a new item where you're like oh what if he shot out these random cannonballs that kind of exploded into other smaller cannonballs and maybe that's just like a cool idea you have whatever but then it synergizes with something else you created like way back from the start and you didn't even anticipate it it then builds into that layer of complexity that right could have later yeah yeah exactly and it's um you know it's definitely a situation where it's like once i kind of got the system working it was surprising me at some sometimes too um right and it's like and, and i guess the other question we're grappling with is like how much do we want to balance that so that it's roughly the same difficulty every time versus like what i think is kind of fun about roguelikes is that sometimes it just kicks your ass you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's not that hard so just kind of like that that's exciting yeah. to me so you know, if it spawns, you know, two of the wall generators that kind of shoot out cubes and the cubes spawn, you know, walls of pillars or something like that. You know, if it throws two of you, two of those at you and it's also spawning a bunch of like death kites that you have to deal with, like that can be a really tough battle. Um, yeah, it almost becomes a thing where like if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, balancing it from like an easy, medium or difficult, you know, uh, setting, you'd have to be like, OK, well, these are the easier like uh randomly generated uh type of attacks that it would have and these are the medium ones and these like and then you have like a pool of those but that becomes uh crazy in itself to, mm -hmm. to try to manage yeah yep yeah it's it's a fun process you know i think i spent a couple months just kind of getting that that whole system up and running and i'm, I'm hoping to spend a couple more months on it before we're done right so. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I am definitely interested to see how that uh, comes together. But let's talk about something that you are going to be uh, kicking off fairly soon. Um, you are going to be pushing this to a crowdfunding site known as Kickstarter. So it'll be coming up very soon. You're launching a Kickstarter campaign. Um, I always like to talk to people about this because there's a lot of like pros and cons that come with kickstarters mm -hmm. um the the obvious one the pro is like you want to try to get money the con is that people can look at it at a state where it's not fully fleshed out and say like i don't like this i'm not going to you know they they gain these certain opinions of it just because they see it at you know what it is which is a you know not fully designed state um what uh what are you kind of hoping uh, to to accomplish with this Kickstarter, you know, there's it could be as simple as the obvious one, which is just I need money, um, mm -hmm. or you know, like there's other things that I like hearing. But like, what is the main thing that you hope to accomplish with this Kickstarter? Yeah, I think it was a combination of like we needed some more funds, and um, you know, Kickstarters are a good way to raise the profile of the game and build a community around a game. You know, mm -hmm. we ran a Kickstarter in 2013 for Race of Sun, and it was awesome. I mean, it was stressful, but it was but it was awesome in the end. Um, 
And also just, um, you know, if we're interested in getting more funding or like partnering up with platforms and stuff, like having that social proof of, you know, hey, 5,000 people back this on Kickstarter, you know, is is a really powerful form of that. Um, right, yeah. And just kind of like to to lay that out for you, like we, we were pitching the game to publishers uh, last fall quite a bit and not getting a lot of interest. And then we just announced the Kickstarter and the announcement got a lot of... Um, attention on social media and then we got coverage on polygon and pc gamer and rock paper shotgun and all these sites that hadn't really paid attention to it until then um and then i started getting like emails from publishers saying hey do you, you want to talk to us um wow. so just kind of like raising the profile of the game is has definitely been a big part of it but um also just looking at our budget it's like okay i we could we could get almost to the finish line with this without more funding but you know, another 30 grand would really help. Um, right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's so, man, that's so interesting that it's, it's almost as if, and I don't know if this is, you know, the reason why this happens, but this is my first impression of it, but it's almost as if people look at it and they say, you're not serious because you don't have something like a Kickstarter page or, you know, you like, they, they don't look at it until it's at that, like, somewhat finish line moment right where they're they're uh, basically saying like oh you actually do have something to show off okay now we'll be interested yeah yeah you're totally right there you know there's there's kind of like different tiers of attention i guess you can get you know like yeah right. how, how seriously do people take you and i guess the other part of it is just you know i wanted to work with a team on this game and you know i've i've been collaborating with uh my friend sean campbell since almost the beginning um you know, and I wanted to kind of be able to keep him working on it as close to full time as possible and bring on a composer and stuff like that, too. So mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was the other part of it is like, OK, I want to I want to build a team for this and I want to make sure that we can actually keep everybody working on it, you know. Until right. Done, so, yeah, it's uh, it's very important. Um, let's let's wrap this up with a final question that I ask of all the indie devs, and that is basically some advice so i'm sure you've learned uh, a lot of things along the way i'm sure you're learning new things every day you mentioned that um if you know you could go back in time and tell yourself something uh before you dive into all of this indie game madness you know what's some advice that you would have given yourself um I think probably just that you can't do everything, you know, it's, um, it's tempting. Like I mentioned that, you know, the hardest thing about going indie is that I have to wear so many hats and, you know, we have to do everything as, you know, at first it was just my brother and I, and he was, he was like the artist and the financial guy. And I was and and, and our musician and I was like the programmer and more experienced game designer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we made that work for a while and now it's like, you know, Race the Sun came out in 2013, and now the bar has just been raised that much further at this point, and the expectations are just that much higher as far as visual fidelity and the features and stuff like that. And yeah. it's that much harder to market your game and to get attention on on the platforms. And so, you know, it's really I think harder than ever for one person or one team of two people or whatever to to actually succeed in this market. Um, and so that's something I've really been working on with this game. You know, I 
like I mentioned, I partnered up with, with Sean on this and he's more of an expert designer than I am and definitely more visual focused. And at one point I just handed him, he's, he's actually like the creative director on this project at this point, you know, and Mm -hmm. not that I'm not giving input every day on it, but like I've, I've kind of empowered him to make the final say on like whether we add a new mechanic or something like that. And that's just right. been really, really great. Cause it's like, Hey, I can, I can not have to wear that hat as well. Um, yeah. And you know, it's like, I, I tinker with music, you know, I play some guitar and stuff like that, but it's like, I'm, I just want to bring on a composer who's the best <laughs> at that, you know? So, so we're bringing on Chao Wong to, to do that. And she's doing a great job so far. Um, talking to a writer this week. I don't know, you know, we'll see how, how that works out. You know, it's uh, kind of a narrative light game, but it's like, I'd, I'd love to have something that wasn't just like some random thing I came up with or, or Sean came yeah, up with, you yeah. know? Um, and then uh, another programmer, Chris is, is coming on too. So it's like, that's one less, one less burden for me. Like I don't have to write every line of code, you know? So definitely in a priv- privileged spot to be able to, to bring all these people. Um, Oh, and Jin Lee is the character artist. Uh, she's from Sydney, Australia, and she's just doing an incredible job. And, and that's another struggle for me because it's like I, I've been drawing for like 10 years now and trying to get better at my art skills. And I love drawing cat characters and stuff, you know, <laughs> but I brought her on and she just drew like, you know, stuff that was way beyond my ability. So, you know, I think finding those opportunities to collaborate with people um, and then finding what value you can bring to the table as well. Um, and I'm. You know, and I, and I guess I'd just say like there are, you'll find opportunities to do that as long as you do bring something to the table, because even if you can't pay people, like you can do like a work swap, you know, and I've done that several times now where it's like, Hey, I'll, I'll help you code up this thing, you know, this summer, if you can help me, you know, make some art for my game now or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if you're good at what you do, then there's always going to be people who are willing to do that with you, you know? So, yeah, I think it's just. Try not to do everything, pick your battles, you know, make games that are like that play to your strengths and then and then build on that. Yeah, solid advice. So for those listening, Whisker Squadron is currently in development. So if any of this sounded interesting, be sure to head over to their Steam page and wishlist it. Also, keep an eye and ear out for that Kickstarter page that should be up very soon. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining.